G'day and welcome back to Talking Leadership TV. My guest today is Andrew Chesterman. Andrew has an extensive background in strategic leadership and public administration. He's held various senior executives and three director general CEO positions within the public sector. He is in his seventh year as the CEO at Redland City Council and is currently the president of Local Government Managers Australia Queensland and a member of the CEO Institute. Andrew has an authentic and motivating leadership style and builds purpose-driven collaborative organisations. His 35 years of professional experience also includes secondary school teaching and management consulting across a wide range of industries and sectors. Outside of work, Andrew has a keen interest in cars, boating and caravanning with his family. He plays a variety of musical instruments. Most recently, Andrew sang as an auditioned member with the Little Red Company in the Lord Mayor's Christmas Carols at the Brisbane River Stage in 2022. Andrew is a passionate advocate for children with disabilities and is actively involved with his son and daughter in the MRP or Modified Rugby Program. Our podcast today focuses on Andrew's leadership pathway. To thank you for joining us, but enough from me, I'll hand over to Andrew. Your leadership and its beginnings. Yeah, my leadership um, probably started in my early 20s. Um, and it was almost perhaps by accident, but maybe a bit by design, um, where I actually started my um, professional career as a coastal planner for the state government in Victoria. But not long after that, and there was a bit of a um, financial downturn in the Victorian economy, I found myself applying for a job at a school um, out in Far East Gippsland. And it was a school, um, a wilderness school that was built by a Melbourne-based girls' school called Marshmead. And uh, anyway, I guess the long story short is I ended up being a teacher there for um, well, nearly three years. I think it was probably two and a half years teaching environmental science and outdoor ed. And the interesting thing about that role was that it was a 24-hour job and we had two days off a fortnight. Um, we had uh, the only access to um, society was one phone line into the property. Um, we used to shop by speedboat because we were on the eastern side of the Mallacoota Inlet. And, uh, you know, I found myself as a, as a teacher, um, you find yourself as a teacher being in a leadership role because you're leading, you know, kids, students. And I was only in my early 20s and they were 14, so year nines they were. And I helped manage some of the property there. We're on 100 acres. We had um, 15 houses. It was a... It was a off-grid, um, diesel generators, uh, wind generator, solar, nine tonnes of batteries in a room that ran the, ran the village. But um, I guess I just found myself um, always looking at the big picture and had a, a wonderful time there, a wonderful um, two and a half years there uh, teaching probably well over 300 kids a year who would come through the, the school. But in that, in that role, I not only worked with, I think it was probably 15 other staff members, but we worked and lived with those people. And when you find yourself in a small community um, that you know, has all the stresses and strains that um, small communities sometimes have, particularly when you're remote, and you wouldn't think there's many places in Victoria that are that remote, um, I, I guess I found myself in positions where I could see that I was a, a harmoniser amongst sometimes differences of opinions 
um, between adults, but also leading students in their day-to-day education, leading outdoor education field trips, leading canoeing, leading sailing, um, helping manage the farm. And I had a great relationship with the director at the time and the principal of the school. And so that sort of probably got me thinking about um, thinking about leadership, but perhaps not so overtly at that stage in my life. And following that, I went overseas and I worked for an engineering consultancy um, out of London. And that got me, that was my entree to local government. And in that role, I looked after all the open space contracts that were managed by Maidstone Borough Council. And that was my entree into local government. So here I was, having been a teacher in a wilderness school, wearing blundstone boots, explorer socks and a flannelette shirt. Now I'm in Kent, because I was um, working for Maidstone Borough Council um, in Kent, um, running all these um, very large open space contracts for a council. And, you know, you, so I guess when you lift life forwards and understand it backwards, you sort of work out that people start to, um, start to um, appreciate perhaps the style that you're developing in your early 20s, a style of how you go about work. And perhaps that just gets reinforced throughout the rest of your career. Yeah, that's thank you for that. Um, it it set it sets a really good and interesting uh, background to you and and your leadership pathway. You you mentioned things like being the um, not not so much adjudicator, but someone who could listen to problems and maybe take a a meta perspective on some things. And uh, yeah, there are people in the world that do that quite. Um, uh, automatically and some that that never quite get into that space because they can't see beyond themselves so yeah it, it seems like there was a progression to things um interesting you went from teaching in that wilderness context to working in in the UK and then coming back to Australia I was just going to say before we won't hold it against you that you're Victorian by um by origin now in Queensland but you, you've picked the right state to come to so that that's a very good thing for us up here uh, let me ask you something, Andrew, in terms of when that light bulb moment happened for you, was it when you got into councils that you started thinking about what leadership meant to you or was it an encounter with another leader that you went, oh, maybe there's something to this? Yeah, I've always been, um, I guess, inspired by those that I've worked for in leadership roles and if I think back to those school days, the principal at the time, David Loder, was um, a real visionary in education, which is why this wilderness school was set up for the, it was the wilderness school of the Melbourne campus of Methodist Ladies College. And he was a real visionary in terms of how um, education of young people uh, should, um, should happen. And that always interested me and equally um, when I was working overseas and then when I came back to Victoria and I worked for the Darabin City Council in the northern suburbs, um, I had a CEO in Kelvin Spiller who um, equally I, I always had a relationship with the leader of the organisation, even if I was a junior person um, uh, perhaps working there. So um, here I was, you know, a young teacher um, and I had the ear of the principal about um, about the school and about you know where it was heading. And equally, when I came back to Victoria, 
uh, I had the ear and the support and the, the confidence from the CEO at the time, Kelvin Spiller, who's um, been a CEO of many local government organisations, um, in fact, uh, in Queensland and in Victoria and is uh, well known in, in leadership circles. And I, I probably always, I don't think there was a light bulb moment, but I always um, looked at these people and was interested in how they led organisations, but I probably didn't think about it in, in that way at the time. But my, my real interest has always been the big picture and that's what perhaps um, has led me to have those connections with leaders at the time because I'm always interested in the big picture and how it plays out, um, how you see things, how you frame things. And that's been, that's been an interest of mine um, probably since I was little, actually. My, my mum tells me, you know, Andrew, you could always always see the big picture or looking for the big picture. And perhaps, perhaps that's um, one of the things that has led me to, to the roles that I've had, you know, in the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah, and, and uh, definitely councils and, and government, I think, generally gives you that opportunity to uh, have an effect if you can, on that bigger picture, whether it's at the community level or or, or um, broader than that. So let me ask you, Andrew, how do you define leadership? Wow. So, um, you know, leadership is, I mean, there's so many definitions of leadership, you know, whether or not you can garner the, the support of people or their motivations or their, um, uh, you know, get their, get their um, effort behind the good of an organisation, but look, leadership, good leadership for me is partly about being um, predictable in your response and being able to make some hard decisions. Um, I find that, um, you know, good leaders are able, when I say predictability, I think it's it's fantastic to be in an organisation where people know what reaction or what question they'll get from their leader most of the time and the reason why that's good is because it actually allows organizations to get on and do things without asking for permission and I find that good leadership is about not only motivating and getting participation of people for the good of an organization but it's about um, allowing autonomy in an organisation, autonomy for people to make decisions. And that's often easily said, but you have to create a, an environment that really believes that people um, will uh, deliver, that people will do the good of the organisation and they will actually be able to do the job. And unless you really believe that people can get on with the job, um, you end up with leaders who like to micromanage, leaders who like to get in the way, and they erode the ability for people to be um, their own their own person and have some autonomy in their own decision making. I guess the other thing about good leadership is, and I've just today I've done a um, corporate induction, which I really enjoy doing. It's about connecting people with the purpose of an organisation. So if you can connect them, whatever they do, with the purpose of an organisation, and again, it's really easily said, but if you can really connect what a person's role is, whatever it is, with the purpose of the organisation, 
then I think that that really um, is a sign of good leadership. And then the, the third part is um, allowing people to, to be a master of their craft. So, you know, it is this thing in thirds about purpose and mastery and autonomy. So if people can master their craft, and people will all have different skills and they'll all want to bring their best to an organisation. And again, you know, it's having that innate belief that people will do good um, occasionally they don't, but most of the time they do good and they want to bring their best selves to an organisation. This leadership is about trying to get all of that in thirds together and then chart the way forward um, for an organisation so you can stand back and, and ask. And my, probably my, one of my favourite questions is, what's going on here? Because usually what's going on is not really what you're seeing. And so if you don't take some time to stop and reflect, then you miss what's really going on. And that's a great question uh, to often ask ourselves as leaders because, you know, it's the, it's the old saying, the problem's not the problem. Um, but what's going on is something often quite different. And good leaders are able to recognise that and recognise what's going on. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. In fact, there's there's two takeaways from your response to me there. For me, uh, personally, is good good leadership, effective leadership, and leaders in the, in whatever context we're talking about create envo- environments where their staff, their team can thrive. And the other one is that idea of self reflective practice as a leader. This is a topic area I'm going to do a lot more. Uh, podcasting around is yes i'm i'm cognizant i'm very much aware that not all leaders will take time out of their day to reflect back on what they've done but i would i would argue and i, I think i could find evidence for this that the ones that end up being the memorable the the visionary leaders are the ones that do step back and, and look at their practice and not only look at their practice but seek feedback on what they're doing. So that question you raised about what's going on here, that's quite a nuanced question. And uh, the leader has to come to grip with that question because um, let's say you're new to an organisation, you really want to get to behind what is the culture and then what are the things behind the scenes that are really driving the place. And and these lead to big ticket questions around how is the place run? Uh, Do we have a culture that's conducive to the things that you talked about? And if you don't, why don't you? And that, that that's um I think that's a quite a fruitful place um to play in terms of better leadership process and that that for me doesn't mean identifying uh the dead wood when it comes to leadership it's more what could we do better and how how do you promote better practice and and what does that what what does good look and feel like I think is is critical in what you've just said there um this your response Andrew leads quite nicely to the next um theme area and it's from a sector also from a local government perspective and I won't ask you to go micro as in where you're working now um, because that would not be appropriate but I think from a meta perspective can you pick out one or two or however many I should put a number on it what leadership topics are you seeing in the local government space now I could ask you to draw on an Australian Queensland context but even what you saw when you're in the UK are there some leadership issues in that space that you think are important and that um, need some kind of uh, addressing at some level? 
Yeah. Look, um, can I add one thing um, just to the previous question? Sure. About, about reflection. Because um, there's one other thing that I think you know, good CEOs or good leaders do uh, make time to reflect. And that's great. And I like to, you know, perhaps use my drive home to think about, you know, what's going on, what's really happening here and making sure that with my various executive teams that I've had over the years, building in time to not just run through an agenda, but actually time to to connect and say what's going on. But the other thing I like to do, and I'm quite deliberate about this at the end of a week, is I like to actually not only reflect, but I like to thank people who have done something good. And one of the things I've asked for in my last uh, 15 years of leadership roles, before you, know, you get a new role and they say, what do you want on your business card? Do you want your mobile phone number on it? And all these sorts of things. And I say, actually, what I want is I want a thank you card um, created. And I've, I've got them here so I can, I can hold one up. Um, I get a thank you card that I can hand write on the back a note and what, they, what those thank you cards do is that um, they sit on my desk and in, sometimes it's an email, sometimes it's a handwritten note, but not only taking time to reflect, but time to call out the good stuff. And I think um, what happens is that sends a ripple effect in an organisation. I know of people that have had a thank you card. In fact, someone told me recently of one I sent would have been 15 years ago, and they still had it in their desk as a trophy. And I've seen these pinned notice boards around the place. And the ability to thank people for a job well done reinforces the, the sort of organisation that you want. And um, they, they become, um, I guess, that artefact that, that somebody's able to point to and say, hey, look what I got. And, and that's why it's nice sometimes for it to be a physical card, not just an email, but I, I do use emails quite a bit. And I encourage uh, the organisation to call out good, good things because, you know, that's how we learn. We learn from positive reinforcement, um, more so than um, negative reinforcement. We, we learn when, when people say there's a job well done. It's pretty basic. I don't see it as... You know, it's not management theory. Um, maybe it is management theory 101, but I, I don't think that happens enough. So I think that reflection needs to be coupled with the ability to thank people in a very simple way. Thanks for a job well done. You might call out the a decision or a policy or a project um, and say well done. And so leading to your question about, the, I guess, the local government sector, um, in particular and what's unique is that I um, am also a great um, student, I guess, and, and I was uh, mentored for, for many years by um, Jude Munro, who was the CEO of Brisbane City Council, and I was there for in two stints for 10 years and, a, and nearly a couple of years a second time around. And, um, you know, I guess... Um, Jude always instilled in me, and I was her executive officer. It's actually the reason I came to Brisbane originally. I moved from um, Melbourne 20 years ago. And she would talk about being a CEO of CEOs. And it's really true because even in my induction that I did this morning, I talk quite fondly of this, the many things that we do as an organisation. And all local governments do. They run 
art centres, they run call centres, uh, they run water companies, they run billing companies, they run um, planning uh, services, engineering, they build things, construction crews. There's nothing local government doesn't do, which is a great, um, a great challenge um, and opportunity for people who work in local government because it's a great place to start and grow your career. You can easily have five careers. You could even have 10 careers in local government over the, the course of your life. Um, it's a very transferable industry because there are local governments everywhere um, and in some marvellous places across the country and overseas as well. And I guess that's one of the one of the challenges of um, and the perspectives of local government in particular is that you sort of can't be in the detail all of the time because if as soon as you go down a, a a rabbit hole of trying to deal with one particular issue about, you know, it might be one particular road or drain or art centre program or library, you, you, you stop seeing what else is happening. And because it's such a broad um, industry, um, you, you have a challenge there. The other challenge in local government is that you, you have elected councils and leaders are often at that interface between um, the council itself, there's other formal council and the organisation. And that presents um, some challenges because they're often compared uh, councils, that is, as a board of directors. And whilst that's sort of true, it's sort of not true. So they're like a board, but they have things that actually are a bit different to a board. And of course, they're, they're chosen quite differently because they're chosen by by the public and um, my um, leadership roles, you know, where you're the interface, whether it's in the state government or local government, um, whether you're the interface between the public service and the elected representatives where democracy is so important, you have to navigate what's going on. So I come back to that question, what's going on? And often leaders and CEOs can be sometimes caught in the middle of contentious issues and that's part of, you know, that's part of the challenge. Um, it's uh, certainly part of the job. But, you know, how you, how you play that is really important. And playing things with a fair hand, you know, not being political, having strong governance, being transparent about the way issues are handled is, um, is you know, particularly prevalent in public sector organisations. And more so, I think the community expect it more so. Um, than they did in the past um, because, you know, that is our, our role is to implement the, the will of the government of the day, whether it's state government or whether it's um, or local government, and play a fair hand and have those, um, have those controls around governance and transparency and respect of office um, and, you know, do things that sometimes you may not agree with yourself um, you may personally not agree with, but that's not that's not the role. It's the role to faithfully implement the you know the will of the the, the government or the chamber of the day. Yeah, in, interesting set of um, challenges, and that's I think that that's anything you can engineer out of a CEO role mm -hmm. or, or top leadership role in councils because of that uh, connection. And I, I, I hadn't it hadn't been put that way to me that. Councils are kind of like boards, but they're kind of not. And there are some, I think, some qualitative differences. But 
the sames there about governance and about process and about implementation of a um, of an agenda. Well, in terms of a council, that agenda comes from your community because they elect their council people to be on there to do a job. And um, I can see where having some political nous as a CEO is important because one, you want to avoid the landmines of getting involved and being in between an issue because that really isn't your job. Your job is to implement at an operational level, but also be thinking strategically. Look, you, you covered off um, leader capability and skills before, Andrew, so I might go to the next area if that's okay with you. And this one is of interest to me because I know people are sick of hearing about a post-COVID world. I, I hate the term too, but it's the reality that we've got. We we as, as human beings, as uh, people working in organisations went through a process and we've come out the other end hopefully better for the experience. And, and I'm definitely not talking here around the health impacts of COVID-19. That's a different conversation. But from a workplace perspective, and I'll ask you to put your hat on as a leader in a council, but also as a leader more generally, do you think COVID-19 changed the way we do this thing called leadership or is it too early to tell? What What's your perspective, mate? Um, look, I think it's I think it's grounded everybody. I mean, suddenly we had a situation where everybody was in it together, and that that meant leaders and you know employees. If there's a if there's a difference, and I think you know the sense of some empathy, um, the sense of people of leaders needing to um, to perhaps practice that empathy a little more. Um, but also um, a bit of kindness, and I, I don't. Now, kindness is is a word that's not used enough in workplaces because perhaps it's often seen as seen as soft, or um, it's not. Um, I don't know. It's it's not it's not a hard enough term, and it and it seems like a not a cop out, but you know, COVID has has I think made leaders. A little more kind to people because suddenly people had to, you know, they they opened themselves up because they had to. Um, their personal lives were affected, their families were affected, families were split up, and we ended up having conversations that were probably more personal than they've ever been in you know the past couple of decades, and. You know, I always like to say to people, bring yourself to work. I want people to bring their whole selves to work. And COVID sort of by definition meant people were bringing them whole selves to work or to the screen, um, to the Zoom screen or the Teams screen. And you know, that's not a bad thing because it's this sense of, you know, people talk about work-life balance as though there's a hard line between the two. And we all know that, you know, one of the, one of the um, perhaps downsides of COVID is people are in some instances actually working longer hours because of the technology that's in their face all the time and no one really knows when people are starting and stopping. So I think that's a, that's a challenge for, for leadership in the post-COVID workplace. But I do think um, that ability to connect with people on a more personal level has meant leaders have had to change a little in the way that they approach their their role, uh, perhaps more so for leaders that perhaps weren't so 
personable, perhaps. Perhaps they were um, had a had a, a tougher uh, tougher edge, or employees saw them as having a tougher edge. But suddenly we had this thing, as I said, that was a great equaliser, and we all were in it together, and we all had to deal with um, the situations of borders being closed and families being split up, and there was nobody was not affected by that. And I think that's humanised everybody, and probably. Um, humanised um, the way leaders have practised their craft. Yeah, that, that's a reasonable response. In fact, I can't find myself disagreeing with anything that you've said. Uh, some have come in quite hard on leaders that didn't um, deal with the impacts of COVID well. I, I'm starting to change my thinking on that given some of these discussions that I'm having that it was a pandemic. So this isn't something that happened on a regular basis and I think for leaders and particularly around your own professional practice, if that was found wanting, then that's an opportunity to work on that rather than say, well, X, Y, Z leaders were no good at what they did. I I think it tested people. And for those that weathered it well, um, I think the learning from that is, well, what do you do in your practice that helped you weather that differently? Now, I know that there are variables that you can't control, like the industry sector uh, the size of the business. So I think for um, people in leadership roles, for example, leaders that are leading big organisations, a couple of hundred people, if not bigger, it's hard to get down to that personal level with each employee because it's just um, very difficult to do. But that then speaks about, well, what's the culture of the place? Did people have an environment where there was a a, a way to deal with the impacts of COVID, were their systems set up to allow work from home, all of those things that helped us get through the worst of it. And then you have the other end of that spectrum where you've got very small organisations, it might be three or four people plus the CEO. That's a lot easier to do that one-on-one and deal with it in a very different way. So everyone had different ways of coping. And for those that didn't quite get it right, I'm, I'm like I said, I've shifted my thinking that it was about them. I think the situation could have overwhelmed some people and I can really understand why that was. Uh, the, the, I like the word you use, the humanisation of, of leaders as well as the people in their teams because you got to see uh, leaders at their best and at their worst. And that if you can humanise yourself and if it took a pandemic to do that, which is unfortunate, maybe that was a good thing. But definitely I, I have a feeling there'll be people writing on this for many decades uh, post this event and uh, hopefully we can learn something from it. And obviously you, you shared something that you've learned. So I appreciate that, mate. Now um, let's go to the nature versus nurture question. Andrew, are leaders born or are they made? Oh, you know, difficult question. This one, um, I think it's probably both. Maybe I'm sitting on the fence there. I think, you know, everyone's a product of, of their um, upbringing, but they're also a product of their DNA. They're a product of um, life circumstances. And so you know, I, think, I think a way of answering that question is that leaders um, can be um, identified and nurtured and championed, encouraged, motivated. Some people won't ever want to be in a leadership role. They, they don't see themselves as being a leadership role. Um, but, you know, I, I think people will generally surprise you with their ability if you give people a chance. And not everyone's given a chance. And so 
sometimes uh, being a good leader is being able to spot those people that perhaps need that chance or need that encouragement or motivation to to step up. Um, I always had you know, the opportunity, and I, perhaps because I made myself, um, I was happy to, to try different roles at different times. Um, when I was management consulting for four years um, in Victoria, uh, it was, you know, you were thrown in the deep end and in client sites, and you had to lead your way sometimes out of those situations. Um, so there's an example where, um, you know, was I was it born or made? I'm a sort of like, you know, um, if you don't, swim you'll sink so you had to you had to step up but I've been in other circumstances where I've had great mentors and great leaders who I've worked for who have encouraged and motivated and really championed the skills that they saw or the threads that they saw perhaps in my own ability which has given me some encouragement Um, when I was you know I, I think back to my schooling and I had one teacher in year nine I actually wanted to be a mechanic all my life uh, when I was when I was a kid I'm still a car nut now I still service one of my own cars but I um I went to a tech school and uh, they didn't even offer year 12 and I had a year nine teacher who said um, his name was Mr Way and he said you could do your year 12 and I said I can't do my year 12 not smart enough to do year 12 and I'll never forget, in fact, I have tried to um, tried to find him, to thank him, because I remember sitting with him and he said, you can do your year 12. Um, you can do the maths. Um, it's the same as what we're doing now, just keep going. And I had to swap schools to go to a school that offered year 12. And whilst it's not an answer to the leadership question, you know, here was a person who, who really believed in me and, um, you know, my my upbringing, my mum in particular, um, had such a belief in me. I've got three brothers, so there's the four boys. Mum had such a belief um, in all of us that we could do what we wanted to do. It didn't hold us back. Um, it says to me that, you know, you might be, maybe leaders are born, but they're encouraged along the way. So, you know, I think about that that school conversation I had and, I guess the backing that you get um, of your parents or your friends or your family who who really encourage people and motivate people, that to me is one of the the things that really helps people um, on whatever journey it is that they're perhaps destined to have. Yeah, really like that response, Andrew. I, I think uh, the um, environment in which you find yourself is a big is a big thing, how much encouragement you get. And uh, then it goes back to what you said at the start, and I'm a big believer in choice. So people choose to take on leadership roles or they don't. And so in a context where if you really do believe that only leaders are born, that, okay, then that leaves no room for growth, no room for education. So, no, you're definitely not fence-sitting. Um, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you, but my slight skew is, most are made, but some are born with some pre, uh, uh, pre-instilled skills and knowledge and and ways of being that uh, facilitate for great leadership. But they one have to make the choice, and two have to want to do it. Um, I, I think we've all met people that you look at them, whether they're friends or colleagues. You go, why haven't you done this, that, and the other? And you really are leadership material, and they don't see themselves in that light. 
at all. And um, I, I have met human beings in my travel that uh, would couldn't think of a worse thing to do is to be the boss or the person making those calls, whereas others crave it through a career and are developed into that. So, yeah, I, I, um, it's not fence-sitting. It's just the way that it is. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't really encountered someone who said it's 100% uh, nature or it's 100% nurture, but I'm sure those those people exist, and, and that's just as valid of you. Um, always with these discussions, Andrew, it's about asking, well, why do you hold the view that you've held? It's never... Uh, a question of well no that's that's the wrong view it's just a view um i I think what you just shared plays out um quite um quite naturally in most settings so look uh andrew final question and this is for you looking back at the career that you've had which has been quite an interesting one what would you say to a younger version of andrew about what it is to be an effective leader if you could go give yourself some counsel on that Hmm. Uh, look, I think I think um, there's a lot of common sense in good leadership, and so I'd probably just say there's a lot of common sense in good leadership. And then you can have a discussion about what that looks like. And I'm I'm keeping a a journal, if you like, of the things that you know have that I believe in. I guess in terms of my own leadership style and. They are simple things like um, I call it taking the free kicks. And so what's a free kick? And I go, well, a free kick is walking through the office a different way and bumping into someone, perhaps by design, and saying, what are you working on? And you end up with a conversation about what they're working on. And is there anything I can do to to help that? Or, um, you know, those those free kicks happen every day. Sending a thank you card is common sense, but we don't do it. Saying thank you for a job well done is common sense. Being generous with your time, getting around, being visible, which is the thing I did in COVID most. I walked the floors. I went to the depot. I just said, you know, what what else do you need to know? I won't have all the answers, but I'm here to show my face. Um, Saying hello if you're in a lift, not just, you know, putting your head down on your phone, Um, you know, talking about uh, what matters to you personally. So, you know, we we ask people to bring themselves to work, so I'm quite happy to talk about what I like to do outside of work. Um, And so these are the sorts of things that are common sense. Um, You know, talking about, um, uh, you know, your family or your own challenges or what matters to you um, personally, having empathy and making it safe for people to speak openly. I always like the example, even in my office, if I walk out with my collar, you know, a jar, I said, I want someone to tell me and, you know, put it down. And it doesn't matter what role you're in. I want someone to say, hey, your collar's not quite right, Andrew, pop your collar down. And I know there are people that I've come across that wouldn't dare say that, you know, because they wouldn't feel game. And I, I think you know, good leaders and are able to create that environment where you make it safe to say, hey, your collar's up or worse, um, your tie's not done up properly or your shirt's hanging out. Or um, So that's, I guess that's the sort of thing that I'd, I'd tell my younger self um, or I'd tell people that are aspiring to be leaders. The other thing that I'd say is... Um, 
and I learned this. I was asked to reflect actually on, on my early jobs that I had as a kid. And one of them was being a paper boy. And I delivered the Herald in um, the afternoon paid newspaper uh, in Deep Dean in Victoria. And if you missed a paper, your boss, and my boss at the time was an ex-copper, he would let you know by the time you got back to the news agents, the person's probably rung to say, hey, I've seen the paper boy go um, and he's missed my paper. And so what you got was feedback really close to the event. Now, if I didn't get feedback close to the event for a week, I'd miss Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday paper. That person has now missed a week of their newspapers. And I use this example in the workplace because I say it's much easier as a leader to give feedback really close to the event. You see something that's not right in a meeting, maybe the way somebody has said something or they've reacted to something. If you leave it time and time and time again, then you miss the opportunity, the easier opportunity to give a bit of feedback. Hey, you've missed the paper, don't miss it tomorrow. Right, yeah, no big deal. But if I miss it for a week, it becomes a big deal. And it's no different in leadership. And that, you know, I learned that as a nine-year-old delivering papers. And I've I've thought about that um, because feedback close to the event sticks better because people know, oh, I didn't realise it went down that way. I'll, I'll have to apologise to that person or whatever it is. And then the other thing is, um, you know, I think, and I probably struggled with this as a younger person, but um, just do the next right thing. So you'll find challenges in life, uh, challenges, you know, at home, uh, just try to do the next right thing because we often get hamstrung by, well, what do I do next? Because, you know, all these bad things have happened, but you just do the next right thing. And, um, you know, that was in the Frozen movie. So it's not a bad theme from the Frozen movie, just do the next right thing. I think it's not a bad, not a bad thing to remember because you won't always get it right, uh, but you do just want to do the next um, right thing. That concludes our podcast and I'd like to thank Andrew for sharing his leadership pathway with us. Our next podcast drops on Monday the 14th of August and we feature Matthew Pohl, an entrepreneur, owner and CEO of the Rewild Group. As always, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Please drop a like or subscribe to help me grow the channel. Have a great day, rest of your week and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.